Hey, thanks for being here today. Welcome to Glendale Christian Church. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining in and being a part of our worship today. Today we're in part two of a series called All In. We started this series last week, and last week we, we looked at the rich young ruler and his life and, and really just what Jesus was asking him to give up and, and what not just what he was asking him to give up, but also what Jesus was promising him to get in return if he would go all in. And so the question that we want to ask in this series, and, and really I want to encourage you to, to think about through all of this, is are you all in? Are you all in or are you kind of hedging your bets? Because really it's, it's one or the other. You, you can't be all in and say I'm going to put a couple of chips here to the side just in case. That's my backup plan. That's my plan B. There is no plan B. You're all in or you're all out. That's, that's kind of the way it works with Jesus. And so um, this series is just really to encourage us to be all in. That whatever Jesus asks of us, whatever Jesus calls us to, that we're going to be in. As a community, as a church, as individuals, we're going to be all in for the cause of the kingdom. If you grew up between 1963 and 1997, which should be just about all of us, you heard this message come on your TV more than once. It would say this. This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. And then you would hear the most horrendous single beep that lasted for, seemed like a lot longer than 60 seconds, but, but a 60-second beep, and, and you would hear that. Anybody remember that, like, like, okay, I'm not alone in thinking, okay, when I thought about this, I thought everybody should recognize that, right? There's a test that takes place in the very first book of the Bible, uh, in, in the book of Genesis. A test from God is given, and it's given to a man named Abraham. And you're probably familiar with this story if you've, if you've been in church very long. If you grew up in church, you know this story. It's the biblical narrative of Abraham and Isaac. And, and this is one of those stories in the Bible um, that is really a cause for concern for a lot of people. It's one of those stories that causes a lot of people just to reject Christianity, to reject God because of the nature of the story. We're going to read just the first two verses of, of chapter 22. Here's what the Bible says. Again, it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, and I will show you on the mountain that I will show you. Now, I want us to, to be honest about this story because I think the reason that this story is difficult for a lot of people who kind of reject Christianity, who reject God, I think one of the reasons is because Christians aren't always honest about biblical narratives. Let's be honest about the Old Testament. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament that ought to cause us to be a little uncomfortable. There's a lot of of bloodshed, a lot of war, a lot of just, you name it, and it happens. And, and that, in our society, in our culture, should make us a little uncomfortable. But you have to understand context. Context is king. And, and understand what, what's going on then and what's going on now are two different things. But, but we should be honest and at least recognize that this story is uncomfortable. Uncomfortable at best. I mean, it's, it's, it's a story of God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son and we're not saying like sacrifices in like hey you're going to give him back to me and he's going to go serve in the temple like Hannah and Samuel we talked about that a few months ago we're not talking that kind of sacrifice we're talking like nope slit his throat pour the blood out offer that as an as a sacrifice that's the kind of offering sacrifice we're talking about 
that should make us a little uncomfortable. In fact, when we read about ancient cultures that did child sacrifice, we, we hold them in the, in the lowest regards. And so this story, that, that the idea that God would ask Abraham to do that, is not only incomprehensible, it's, it's really it's, it's unconscionable. But I think the biblical stories that cause the most cognitive disagreement in our logical minds often contain the greatest revelations. Instead of dissecting scriptures, we need to let scripture dissect us, our, our thoughts, our, our attitudes, our dreams, our desires, our hopes, our fears. Too often we approach stories like this one in the Old Testament as if God is the one that's on trial. But God's not on trial. His character is not in question. In fact, just the opposite. It's our character that's on the stand. And that's exactly why God tests us. Look, let me be clear about this. God never intended for Abraham to actually sacrifice his son. It was only a test. In fact, God would, God would not have allowed Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. When you read in the Old Testament uh, how God felt about those, those groups of people that did do human sacrifice, he held them in the lowest regard. In fact, his, his, his command oftentimes to the Israelites was go in and wipe them out. Get rid of these people for the evil that they have done. God would not have allowed this. It was simply a test. He wanted to see if Abraham was willing to obey the most counterintuitive command imaginable. Scripture explicitly reads, God tested Abraham. Look here. He said to him, it says sometime later, God tested Abraham, right? It's, it's explicitly there. You can't get around that. It's a test. And Abraham passed the test. And so think about this. This, this is how you get a testimony, right? I mean, if you don't ever have a test in your life, there's no testimony. No test equals no testimony. So I want to give an encouragement and a warning about this passage of Scripture. The encouragement is this, that the next time that you are tested, just recognize it for what it is. That a test is simply an opportunity to get a testimony. A test is simply an opportunity to grow in your faith, to expand your faith, to, to have kind of the battle scars uh, that, that so many people have had before us and, and be able to stand before the, the great cloud of witnesses in heaven and say, look, I have been tested. I, I have been battle tested and I am here. I passed the test. But the warning is this. We need to understand context again. Understand that Abraham didn't have the full revelation of Scripture. In fact, he didn't have any of it. So don't be fooled into thinking that God is testing you by asking you to do something that goes against Scripture. God, God will not ask or test you by commanding you to obey, to disobey what Scripture has already revealed that's outside of God's will. He will not do that. That's, that's temptation. And temptation and testing are not the same. Okay, They are not the same. You will never be asked by God to do something that He has explicitly stated in His Word not to do. You know, you're never going to be asked to, to sacrifice somebody because God has explicitly stated taking life is wrong. Uh, young people, you're never going to be, a, be uh, tested by, by thinking that you should disrespect your parents or do something that your parents are telling you uh, not to do because God has explicitly stated honor your father and your mother, right? So you're never going to be tested by something that's not, that Scripture says don't do. But, but the only way that your faith grows is for your faith to be challenged. For it to be tested. Look, I can tell you that I didn't get a testimony in Bible college. I got a good education. 
but not a testimony. You don't get a testimony by listening to a sermon or a lecture or, or a speech in the comfortable confines of a classroom or a church or, or a conference. You get a testimony out in the wilderness like Moses or on the Sea of Galilee like Peter or on the top of a mountain like Abraham. According to Jewish tradition, uh, Abraham was tested ten different times. God gave Abraham ten different, t- ten different tests And this sacrifice of Isaac was the final exam. It was the last test. And it was brilliantly and specifically designed to test whether or not Abraham was all in with with God. And And it was pass or fail. You know, I think God tests us for two primary reasons. First, it's an opportunity for God to prove himself to us. When God tests us, it's an opportunity for God to prove that he is faithful, that he's a provider. And second, it's an opportunity for us to prove ourselves to God. It's an opportunity for us to prove that, hey, we're going to be faithful to, to this God whom we say that we love. We're going we're gonna to be obedient. I, I think that's why the Apostle James, that, the half-brother of Jesus, says in, in his letter to the church, we should count it all joy when we experience trials and, and tribulations when, when we're tested. Because tests or, or trials, they are the proving grounds of our faith. They're, they're the barometer that measures whether or not we are all in with the kingdom of God. They're, they're the way that we graduate to the next grade in God's kingdom. Look, I know some people, and you probably do too, that, that have been Christians for, for 30 years. But they don't have 30 years of, of Christian experience, of, of growing in the kingdom experience. What they have is one year of experience repeated 30 times. And you know what I find often about those people? Is that they're frustrated with their faith. And it's because they're not learning the lessons that God is trying to teach them. It's like God, God tests them. He throws a test out there for them, and they, and they fail, and they always fail. They never seem to grow in their faith. Look, if you've been a Christian for, for, a very, for any length of time, at some point you can count on it. You're going to be tested. And again, the only way that you ever move in your faith is to exercise it, to grow in it. When Abraham raised his knife, God knew that Abraham was all in because he was willing to sacrifice the thing that was most precious to him. Remember, Abraham and Sarah had wanted a child for many, many years, but they were way past the point of having children. And God proved himself as a provider, as, as, a, as a promise keeper. What did, what did God promise Abraham and Sarah? That, that you're going to have a, a, a family, and, and that through you, the, the world is going to be blessed. Your descendants are going to be like the the grains of the sand, too numerous to count, and yet here they are well into their 80s and they don't have a child. And yet God gives them Isaac. He's the fulfillment of that promise. He's what Abraham and Sarah hold most dear. And then Abraham is asked to sacrifice this, to give up the the thing, the very thing that God had promised him, the the very dream that they they had sought after for so many years, and God says, hey, now I want you to give that back to me. And Abraham was all in. He raised his knife to do it. And and in that moment, God provides, proves that he's a provider. Remember what happens at the end of that that story? As as Abraham is ready to sacrifice his son, an angel stops him. And what appears over in the thicket? A ram. A ram. and, And God allows that ram to be used as the sacrifice instead of Isaac. And Abraham and Isaac, they sacrifice this ram and they worship together. God proved to be faithful and a provider. And look, God cannot reveal his faithfulness until we exercise our faith. But because, God, but because Abraham went all in, God was able to reveal himself as, as Jehovah Jireh, as, as God our provider. 
You know, uh, according to one Jewish rabbi, the ram that God provided on Mount Moriah was created in the twilight on the sixth day of creation. Uh, and it was created for the specific purpose of, of taking Isaac's place on the altar. According to that rabbi, this ram grazed under the, the tree of life in, in the Garden of Eden until the very moment that Abraham needed it. Now, I want to be very clear about this. There is absolutely zero biblical substantiation for that tradition. All right? there's, there's, it's just a tradition. There's, there's no way to prove it or not prove it. It might be true, it might not be true. But, but either way, it's a, it's a figurative picture of a literal truth. Long before God had laid the foundations of, of, this, of this earth, He anticipated and He provided for everything that we'd ever need. We just have to give Him an opportunity to prove that He's faithful. I don't know if I've told this story in this setting or not, but let me give you an example of God's faithfulness and, and provision and, and how it's happened in, in my family's life. I told you a few weeks ago when we started the, the This Is My Story series that I had been asked to resign from a ministry position in, when we lived in Berksville. We had, we had just moved to Glasgow, and all of a sudden I was asked to resign, and, and I didn't get into details then, but I'll just tell you, I was asked to resign because of budget cutbacks. Again, I, I didn't do anything. There was no moral failure. Every time you, you hear, well, the preacher was asked to leave, like you think something bad happened. It was budget cutbacks. But now, all of a sudden, I had a new mortgage to pay and no job. As part of my severance, I was going to be paid for, for six weeks, but I want you to know this, that in that six weeks from the, from the first Sunday that I was without a church through that entire time, I never, had a, a, I never went a Sunday without a place to preach. God always opened up a door for me to go preach somewhere. In fact, for, for three or four weeks, I preached at the same little church. They needed a preacher, and I, so I just went and preached for them. And, and, and I did that every week for six weeks. You know that it, during that time, we never missed a bill. We weren't even late on a bill, ever. But I'll tell you this, there was a moment where I wasn't so sure about our immediate financial future. We moved at the beginning of January, bought our house then, and at the end of February, I was a little worried because that six-week severance, well, we were in week seven. I had just started a new job, but, you know, like all jobs, you don't get paid on day one. you got to work a couple of weeks, and so we're a couple of weeks away from payday, and we're not going to get paid for a couple of weeks. And so I had paid our house payment, I paid our car bills, uh, I paid our insurance and all that stuff, all, all the big things that you think about, I, all of those had been paid. But we had two bills left to pay, and I had enough money in my checking account to pay for one of them. And I really didn't know how it was going to work out for this second bill. I was hoping that maybe the, the water company or the electric company, whichever one it was, they would, you know, they, they'd be a little lenient and maybe they'd just charge me a late fee or something like that. But I really didn't know what to do. And so I, I wrote a check for the first bill and then I just prayed that God, you've got to show up. You've got to provide for us somehow, some way. And the day before that bill was due, I went to our mailbox Opened the, opened the mailbox, got, got the mail out, and in the mailbox was a check from a school where I had refereed a basketball game, a couple of basketball games, a few months prior, and they had forgot to pay me. And honestly, I had forgotten that they had forgot to pay me. And so much other stuff going on, I just, I forgot about it. And I opened up the, the check, or opened up the envelope, and there was a check in there for $75, the exact amount of the bill that I needed to pay. I'm telling you, God is faithful, and He provides. We often hear things like, God will never give you any, anything more than you can handle. 
And usually we hear that from well-intentioned people. They really do mean well when they say it, but let me just tell you that's not true. Nowhere in Scripture do we find that, 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 that line. Nowhere do we find that promise. In fact, it's, it's the complete opposite of that. If God only gave us what we could handle, we wouldn't need God. We just need ourselves. And, don't believe the, and also don't believe this lie that God will tempt you. He won't. It's not in God's nature to tempt you. In fact, he promises to give you an escape route for every temptation, tempting situation that you find yourself in. But I can promise you this, God will test you. He will test your faith. And those tests won't get easier. In fact, the longer you're a Christian, the, the, the more that you grow in your faith, those tests are going to get progressively harder the higher that the stakes get. And those tests will undoubtedly resolve around the thing that is most important to you. The thing that you hold most dear to you. Let me ask you this question. What do you find your identity in? What, what do you find your security in? What's the thing that is most dear to you? Wh- whatever your answer to that question is, that's your Isaac. That's your Isaac. And you better believe this, that God will test you and make sure that your identity and your security are found in the cross of Jesus. And God will go after anything that you trust more than Him until you're willing to put that thing on the altar. Until you're willing to identify your Isaac and put your Isaac on the altar, you better believe that God is going to go after that. Look, you don't have to live in fear that that God is going to take away what's most important to you. Because after all, I mean, Isaac was God's gift to Abraham. But if the gift, if the gift becomes more important than the giver, then the very thing that God has given to you to serve his purposes is now undermining his plan for your life. When when God is no longer the end-all and the be-all, and when, and when God just becomes the means to some other's, other end, it, it's the beginning of the end spiritually for you. Because you've inverted the gospel at that point. When, when God is just the means to an end, you're, you're not serving God. You're serving self. Look, God-given gifts are a wonderful thing. And I would say in this room that everybody has some sort of God-given gift that you've been, that you've been gifted from Him. And you should cultivate that and develop that gift and, and use that gift for His purposes. But sometimes they can be a dangerous thing because they become the thing that we rely on instead of relying on God. I, I read about one preacher who prayed this all the time. He said, Lord, don't let my gifts take me farther than my character can sustain me. And I thought that's a good, good prayer. A- as we cultivate the gifts that God has given us, oftentimes we find ourselves trusting in those gifts instead of trusting in God. And that's when our greatest strength becomes our greatest weakness. Think about this for just a minute. Uh, a moment. Think, think about who gave Lucifer his form and his beautiful voice. Who did that? It was God. It was God who gave Lucifer those gifts. And those gifts were originally used to glorify God. But then something happened. May, maybe Lucifer started looking in the mirror and, ref, and reflecting on his own beauty. And all of a sudden that gift that had been used to, to glorify God is now being used to glorify himself instead of the gift giver. And what happens, Lucifer falls from heaven, right? The lesson of the fall of Lucifer is this, is that whatever you don't turn into praise will turn into pride. Whatever you don't give to God as praise will ultimately manifest itself in pride and will will separate you from God. Instead of giving praise to God, Lucifer let it feed his ego and it was the sinful desire to be lifted up that led to Lucifer's downfall. So let me ask you this. What do you think are your greatest God-given gifts? What, what is the thing that you think God maybe has given you that, that you can use to, to glorify Him? I mean, 
let me follow up by asking this. Are you using that to glorify him? Are you using that gift to glorify God or, or are you instead using it to glorify yourself? What, what are the most significant God-ordained opportunities that he's given you? What God-sized dreams has the Holy Spirit con- conceived in you? Look, I, I say all the time about our church, I think we ought to have big, hairy, audacious goals that, that, when, um, that when those things happen, we can only point to God and say it was God that did this, right? It, it, it was so big, it was so out of our ability to, to do it that it had to be God. But if those things happen, who's going to take the credit for it, right? We need to be sure that we're ready to give that credit to God. Sometimes we have dreams about, about things that we'd like to see happen, and when they do happen, we say, oh man, we were really good on that, weren't we? And we really worked hard to, get, to make this happen. And you might have worked hard on it. But it was God, right? Without God, none of it happens. And, and so whatever, whatever God-given gift you have, whatever God-ordained opportunity, whatever God-sized dream you have, that's your Isaac. In, in the early 2000s, uh, Big Idea Company, the company that produced VeggieTales, uh, you might be familiar with, you know, Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber, the, the talking vegetable, the, the ones that told Bible stories for kids. I mean, they, they were great. Big Idea Company ended up bankrupt after a lawsuit with the owners of Barney the Dinosaur, Lyric, uh, Lyric Company. I'm not making that up. Barney the Dinosaur sued Bob the Tomato. It's, it's, it's all legal. You can read about it. Phil Visser, Visser was the creator of VeggieTales, and he started Big Idea with basically some loose change and hence the name, A Big Idea. And over time, that company would sell more than 50 million videos and gross hundreds of millions of dollars, but it all ended with a lawsuit. Big Idea declared bankruptcy, and the dream that Phil Visser had of of taking this animation studio that would tell Bible stories to kids all over the world died a painful death. And that's when Phil heard a sermon, he says, that saved his soul. He said this is what he heard from a preacher. He said, if God gives you a dream and that dream comes to life and God shows up in it, and then that dream dies, maybe God wants to see, if what, see what's more important to you, the dream or him. Let me follow up with that and ask, what do you love more, the dream that God maybe has given to you or the God who gave you the dream? What do you love more, the, the opportunities that are in front of you, the things that you're accomplishing, or the God who made it possible for you to do those things? Is your dream a, men, a means of glorifying God, or has that dream become the end goal, and God is just the means of fulfilling it? Let me ask it another way. Do you find your identity or your security in who you are, or whose you are? Is it in the things that you've accomplished, the dreams that, that, that maybe you've had come true, the things that you've worked hard for? Is it you, and who you are, or in whose you are? See, that, subtle, that little subtle nuance makes all the difference in the world in both this one and the next one. If your identity is, is based on, it could be based on a thousand different things. You know, the, the degrees you, the, you've earned, the positions that you've held, the salary that you make, the trophies that you've won, the hobbies you have, the way you look, the way you dress, even the, the kind of car you drive. But if you base your identity and your security on any of those temporal things, your identity is a house of cards. Look, there is on, only one solid foundation, and it's the cross of Jesus. If, if you find security in what you've done, you'll always fall short of the standard that's been set by Jesus. So what's the solution? Well, easy. The gospel. 
the gospel. There is only one place in which you're going to find your true identity and your eternal security. And it's in what Christ has already done for you. And going all in means that, that it's 100% reliance on the atoning work of Jesus. It's, it's 100% in what Jesus did on the cross for us, not in what we could do for ourselves. It, it's not 99% grace and 1% good works. But the problem is most of us still want that 1% credit for all the things that we've done right. But that's not how it works. It, it's all grace or no grace. There, there is no partial credit. Hear me on this. You are not a part of the equation of salvation. I am not a part of the equation of salvation. The equation is real simple. Jesus, end of story. That's it. You cannot trust Jesus 99% and, and, and hold out the other 1%. Trust is a 100% proposition. And so the question I want to ask as we wrap up our time this morning is, is what do you need to give up? What, what, where do you, what do you need to, to, to put on the altar? What is it that, that maybe you find your security in or your identity in? What, what is it that's getting between you and Christ? What's that one thing that's so important to you that you would never give it up no matter what? I'm telling you, if it's anything other than Jesus, then you're not all in. And look, I get it. I get it. The harder you have to work for something, the harder it is to, to give it up. The longer you have to wait for something, the, the tougher it is to give it back. Which is what's so incredible about Abraham's all-in moment. I mean, it, it's amazing. Isaac was the lifelong dream of a couple who were seemingly never going to have a child. And look, octogenarian postmenopausal women don't have kids. They, they just don't. And yet Isaac was the fulfillment of that dream. We talked about the rich young ruler last week. And I think his story bears this out. That the more God blesses you, the, the harder it is to, to keep that blessing from becoming an idol in your life. You know, money's probably the best example of this because it seems like the more money you make, the harder it is to trust the Almighty God, and it's a whole lot easier to trust the Almighty dollar. Isn't it ironic that on all of our money, we print, in God we trust? In God we trust is printed on the very thing that we find it most difficult to trust God with. And so I think we should probably be asking ourselves, are we more like the rich young ruler, or are we more like Abraham? I mean, are, are we willing to give up everything and be all in? Are we willing to give everything away? And I'm not just talking about what's in your checking account. Are, are we willing to give up everything and be all in, or are we hedging our bets just a little? Here's what I want to challenge you to do this week. I want to challenge you to identify your Isaac. What, what dream are you, are you wanting to come true? What, what is it that you find your security in, your identity in? What, what is it, that, the, the thing that's outside of Christ, that, that you have just placed all of your chips in on that? And then once you've identified that thing, or maybe person, put your Isaac on the altar. Put your Isaac on the altar and say, God, I'm willing to give this all to you. I'm, I'm willing to give up everything. This is, this is what's most important to me. And God, it's yours. God, it's yours. Do with it whatever you, you need to do with it so that I might glorify you instead of glorifying myself. And then and only then will you see what God can do through you. Look, God cannot give back what you do not give up. But if you surrender yourself to him, he will provide the ram in the thicket. Because he always does. And he hasn't failed yet. And so are you all in? Or are you all out? It's, it's one or the other. It's, it's, it's not one foot in, one foot out. It's all in 
or all out. I hope that your decision is to be all in. As a church, I want us to be all in. As a community, we've got to be all in together for the cause of the kingdom of Christ. Because all in expands the kingdom. And all out or halfway in, halfway out just frustrates the kingdom. We need to be all in. So I'm asking, are you all in? Let me pray for you.